Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? Okay, so, Lyle, remember that time how I was telling you like, oh, I've got this friend at the uni and he thinks some stuff about the Bible and then I was reading through passages and I was trying to explain to you what he believed and I was like, how how do I speak to that? Anyways, yes, I just like, I had this experience yesterday with this guy, he's, he's a Christian guy and we've been talking back and forward about our difference of opinion, specifically over like freedom of choice and how God relates to that. Um, and then yesterday we got together and I was praying, like, how do I be a blessing to this guy? And and we we sit down and I'm like, look, man, rather than just like going straight to our differences, I would rather do something that is edifying for the both of us. And so we sat down and we studied Bible prophecy. Oh, and, cool. And it was amazing. And he oh, was like, he was like, this is incredible. This is awesome. But then afterwards his train got cancelled, so he hung out for like another two hours. And then the conversation started. Okay, do we does God give us free will or not? And we're going back and <coughs> forward and back and forward and and it just ultimately I think because like God just really led in this timing of like because we have this bond of like, oh, Lawson isn't just trying to attack my position, but actually cares about my, my spiritual well-being and trying to teach me the Bible. Ultimately, in the end, he was like, I see where you're coming from and I can believe it. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> like, I was just so grateful and so happy. Like, God really worked. Because that was free choice. You have no love. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Get into our breakfast show this morning. Lawson's going to bring us the first question for our pentathlon quiz, and that question will be Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of blank, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Guys, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. If you know what the answer is, 0491-064-669 is the number to call. Uh, if you answer this question correctly, you can either get yourself a Faith FM bookmark and bumper sticker, or you can get your 100 points on the board. Continue to work your way through the quiz. If you get every question correct, you win every single prize. But again, that question was, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of blank, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Of course, if you'd like to uh, call or text for any other reason as well, just to participate in the show, we love it when people participate in the show. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is that number. Uh, that's the breakfast show number. We love to hear from you guys. All right, Lawson, let's have some positively different news. Let's have some things for people to talk about and be thankful to God for this morning. That's right. Positively different news this morning. So uh, we recently had COP26. A bunch of people got together, talk, talked about the climate. Australia was kind of like rejected because everyone was like, Australia's lame because uh, <laughs> of coal power. Uh, but... This is breaking news. Just yesterday, nearly 200 countries have agreed to come together and start negotiations for an international agreement to take action on the plastic crisis. Yes, this is really, really this positive. This is fantastic. Because like, this is one of the biggest crises that we have in our natural world right now. And this is something that I, I've said before, but, you know, whether you believe in global warming or climate change or, or whatever, or whether you don't, and because there's people who hold both sides of that position based on their various opinions and their, their ideas of, you know, the evidence that's before them, and that's fine. Um, plastic pollution is something that is so clearly destroying our world. Yes. Like, like there's, there's no talking about, you know, rising sea levels or rising temperatures or cyclical nature or whatever, like... No, like there's nothing cyclical about plastic. That's right. 
We made it. It's in the ocean. It's everywhere. You are drinking it every single day. You are drinking yeah. plastic. And as I uh, already covered this week, it's literally leading to infertility. That's right. It's doing Can- away with your manhood, guys. Yeah. There's nothing more manly than like, I don't need plastic. What do I need plastic for? <laughs> you know, real men use steel. <laughs> I'm sure drinking steel probably would lead to some kind of... No, it just improves your iron content in your blood. You need <laughs> to have iron. You ever, you ever had a lack of iron? If your iron has ever got low, you're as weak as dishwater. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You, you take tablets for that, not like eat a piece of steel. No, you eat, eat like leafy greens. That's right. Take some supplements or something. something. Someone needs to tell us what's got iron in it. Give us a text right now. If you know what iron has in it, I'm pretty sure it's leafy green, 0491064669. But, yeah, you need to have iron, not plastic, in your body. That's right. And so, basically, this whole thing is over turning off the plastic tap. Stop developing plastics because they're ruining everything. Uh, So, like, going forward, you know, what does this mean? What's going to happen? Well, over the uh, next couple of years, uh, up until 2024, um, each country is going to be kind of putting in input, um, and they're going to, you know, create a plastic pollution treaty, of which then they need to agree with. And that should be agreed with by 2024, which then puts in action over the following years yes so we don't have an outline date we don't have you know when it came to like cop 26 and the paris agreement and and like co2 and all that stuff was like 2030 2040 2050 like all those goals that that doesn't exist for plastic whereas this is the time in which they're saying okay well we need to create one of we those. can do this this is not the end of the world it's mm-hmm. not going to be hard it's not going to affect you know economies that negatively just use less of the stuff mm-hmm. and particularly a single-use plastic like plastic bags and straws and all that kind of rubbish just eliminate it. That's right. It's not hard to get rid of. It's and it's crazy. Like still on a on a federal level here in Australia, like we, you know, just don't have them. <laughs> like yeah. we don't have those bands. Like That's right. So, but I think the interesting thing is here is like, you know, all of the like if we don't ban single use plastics, then people are going to produce single use plastics, then they get used. Uh, that's like that's the the reality. If if we don't ban them, people are going to produce them, and then. They're still going to get used. And I feel like a lot of the time, you know, like people can feel almost guilt tripped in like, oh, okay, so there's this product. It's freely available to me. And if I use it and I don't put it in the right bin at the end of the day, then uh, I'm the problem. Whereas like the positive thing I see here is that like the people who are like, yes, we all have a level of personal responsibility when it comes to like recycling and whatnot. But the people who are actually responsible for plastic being in our community, which is legislators, like the heads of our nation, they're the ones taking action. So this is, like, why it's so positive. It's so amazing. Like, it's not about, oh, did you put something in the right bin anymore? It's like, oh, let's take national and global action on getting rid of plastic, which is fantastic. And be- because, by the way, maybe you're like, well, what's so bad about plastic? I know that not many people hold that position, but they're like, oh, can't we just coexist with plastic? Well, here's some of the facts, just real quick. Um, it's thought that more than 5 trillion pieces of plastic are in the world's oceans, uh, which can take hundreds of years to break down each year 400 million tons of plastic is produced and 40 percent of that is single use 40 percent 40 percent of 400 million tons of plastic is single use so every year every single year uh more than 8 million tons of plastic enters the world's oceans each year and most of that escapes uh from land uh not all plastics can be recycled this is a big one too like not all plastics can be recycled either because uh, of the way it's made or because it's too expensive or difficult to do so like yeah. if it, even if you throw plastic in the recycling bin it doesn't mean it's going to 
Go back 70 or 80 years, we didn't have plastic. didn't exist. Yeah. We lived just fine. That's right. Human beings did not die without the use of plastic. And finally, animals on land or at sea, including human- humans, are terribly affected by plastic. Obviously, animals in the sea, you see, like, the... The photos of like the cute turtle with a plastic bag around its neck, and it's like really, really sad. But then it's also, yeah, again, it's yeah. But it's like a couple of years ago, Mon and I did this story, and we noted that every year you drink a credit card's worth of plastic. (laughs) Yeah, did that same story last year. Now you're drinking a plastic helmet's worth. (laughs) That's a big increase. Like it's only very short space of time because that's that's the reality. It's like, oh, can't we just bumble along at the same rate? It's like bumbling along at the same rate means increasing. Like that's, that, right. that's what it means. Like yes. th- we have a finite amount of space in mm-hmm. our world and the more pr- plastic we produce, the more of that space is taken up by plastic. Yes. And the more plastic you're eating and drinking and whatever it means. Text may be. message says, hey, Lawson and Lyle, happy preparation day and welcome to Sabbath at sundown today. Hey, man. That's kind of nice. Uh, kind regards from David Edgar of Ellenbrook, Perth, Western oh, Australia. Shout out Perth. Thank you, David. That yeah. was nice to hear. That was very special. Yeah. Everything was so great about that text message, except when he said he's from Perth. (laughs) I'm just here to offend, guys. (laughs) I love Perth. I've I've never been been to Perth. Is it? uh, And people say it's good. Perth is amazing. It's the city where you get to see the sun go down on the other side. What do you mean? Um, Well, in Australia, always the city goes down on the uh, the sun goes down on the ocean, right? On the ocean. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. The sun goes down on the. No. 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 It comes up on. it comes up on the goes ocean, on the goes land. down on the land. Over there, it's the opposite it, way. You get to see the sun go down on the ocean. I guess Adelaide as well. Nah, it faces the wrong way. Can't, yeah, well, I no, guess it faces the, the same way, but there's land on the other side of it, so it's not exactly it's, the same. It doesn't no, count. It's not the same. It's, it doesn't, doesn't count. It doesn't count. It doesn't count like West. It doesn't count like Perth, the yeah. real end of the world. Perth is um, <laughs> the most remote city in the world. Really? Yeah. And it has quokkas. It has, well, on the island. Yeah, yeah, but still, that's right where they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, closing our stories this morning, speaking of cute animals that have had tragic things happen to them that they've been saved from, um, there was a story that came out of a lady, her name is Penelope, um, from up in the Queensland floods, and she's, you know, just wading through the floodwaters, you know, in her local town, like, helping people and whatnot, and she sees a platypus that's just laying there, like, kind of lifeless and but she can tell that it is kind of moving but it can't move and so she runs up to the platypus starts giving it chest compressions like how you no. do on a baby so like when you give chest compressions to a baby you like put two fingers like on top of another your other two fingers like your index and your middle finger on top of each other and then you like give it compressions she started to do that and the platypus just started coughing and spluttering and then woke up and then was alive and ran away. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, there was like, and, and well, it didn't just like run away immediately. It was like hanging out there and she took some photos of it. She's like, I saved this platypus. And it's just the coolest <laughs> thing ever. And it's like this cute, like. I wonder how many people there are in the world who can have that as bragging rights. Yeah, one you know, time. I did chest compressions on a platypus. And it lived. And it lived. I think there's probably just one. Like, Literally. <laughs> I think she is the only one who's ever done that. That's amazing. Anyways. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is The Breakfast Show. We're about to have more serious news. Before we do, we have another clue for another question for our quiz. All right. For 200 points, 
With which article of clothing did Elijah part the waters of Jordan? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. For 200 points, you can win yourself an issue of Science Magazine. Uh, but again, that question was, with which article of clothing did Elijah part the waters of the Jordan? 0491-064-669. Fantastic stuff. If you know the answer, you know how to give us a call. And we love to hear from you guys, so send us a text message anyway. Um, turning to more serious news, we've got this... Well, this is actually positively different news. We've got nine Christians who have been freed in Iran. Wow. Uh, these guys were converts from Islam to Christianity, and that can be a very dangerous thing in many countries of the world. Uh, they were imprisoned for five years as a result mm. of that, five-year sentences. Uh, they were caught attending a house church, the entire house church. Um, all nine of them was arrested. And the charges were acting against national security and promoting Zionist Christianity. Uh, so those, those were the two charges that were laid. And in November, the Islamic Republic's Supreme Court referred the decision back to the Tehran Court of Appeal. So, you know, they were found guilty. They were locked up for five years, went through to the appeal, Court of Appeal. Uh, and then from there, it went through to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, yeah, you guys need to relook at this. So the Court of Appeal relooked at it. And the judges came back and said, yep, there is insufficient evidence here that they were acting against national security mm. and noted that Christians are taught in the Bible to live in obedience to authorities. Mm -hmm. And so this was a positive thing for Iran. And what was interesting is that they actually outlined a nine-point um, list of reasons why these men were guiltless, were innocent, and were to be freed. They noted that... Um, that uh, there were nine reasons from the Constitution, from judicial principles, from legal provisions, and from Islamic tradition. And so, you know, the judges recognised they're going to get a fair bit of pushback from certain sectors of the of society in mm. in Iran, and so they were making this very, very, very clear. Of course, these guys have already served two and a half years in jail, mm. uh, but it's nice to see that they're going to be getting out. Probably the most important thing that uh, comes out of this is the fact that it's going to set a precedent for other Christians who are currently imprisoned in Iran, and there's quite a large number of them. Hopefully this decision will have a bit of a flow-on effect. All right, so Christopher has texted through with uh, some helpful information how to get some iron in your diet by the looks of it. Increase iron absor absorption within the same mouthful of plant-based iron source. Include a plant source of vitamin C. Eat them together. Mm -hmm. So leafy greens and oranges. Yep, there you go. I, I guess. Dude, yeah, that, that sound, that's a smoothie right there. Like three oranges, a uh, bunch of spinach, some oat milk and some maple syrup and it'll that kind of sounds gross as it's coming out of my mouth but no it, 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 it's, 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 a, it's, it's a great it'll thought. be good it'll okay. be good also uh, another text here from Rachel who says uh, rat tests uh huh they're single use plastics think how much plastic has gone <laughs> into the earth in the last few months alone yes that's right yeah PCR gang that's right guys they, yep up the nose there you go <clears throat> anyway <laughs> Don't even get me started. All right, let's head over to the United States now and let's talk about Congresswoman uh, Vicky Hartzler. Okay. So she just had her Twitter account suspended. Oh, why? Standing up for women. Oh. Okay. Well, love that. Um, and basically what she said on Twitter, or to quote what she said on Twitter, women's sports are for women, not men pretending to be women. 
So she makes this statement on uh, Twitter and she gets thrown into Twitter jail for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, you know, in the United States, as in Australia and many Western countries, you've got uh, uh, biological men competing in the Olympics. Oh, well, in dear. the States, you know, at the collegiate level, the high school level, etc. you've got uh, records that have just been tumbling yeah. and being handed to biological men. You've got women who have been completely sidelined from their sports. You've got women who have lost, you know, scholarships. They've lost careers in sports. Mm-hmm. Women have lost so much mm-hmm. by allowing biological men into their sports. And so she's just standing up for it and saying, no, this is this is not right. Um, it's been absolutely disastrous. Um, they've lost out on medals. And you've got thousands of, of girls now who are just simply not bothering to get into sports because mm. it's like, well, why should, you know, there's, there's no level, there's no, no, there's no field here that I can, can, can compete on, so why should I even... Uh, get involved in sport and they're, and they're just lost interest in it. And of course, you know, the alternative is they rot their brains on computer games or something like that. Mm. And we need to have our kids outside being active, doing active things. And so this has just been one of the most disastrous things um, and misogynistic movements that we've ever seen mm. in our world. Uh, it is so anti women. And of course, uh, Twitter blocked her and threw her in, in uh, Twitter jail for hateful. Conduct promoting violence. Mm. Okay? So women's sports are for women. You make that statement right there. That is hateful conduct promoting violence. While, all the while, Putin's Twitter account remains active. Really? Is he tweeting? Oh, absolutely. So let's, let's think about this for a moment. You've got women who stand up for women... They're banned. You've got a man who's a murderous psycho and wreaks havoc and death and destruction on an entire nation, and that's not hateful. Wow. You know, could anything be more misogynistic than that? Mm. You know, this is this is this is Twitter for you right here, um, and Twitter has responded. You know, to these kind of questions, as they said that well, the congresswoman has to remove the tweet. And once she's removed it, she will be allowed to be in read-only mode for the next 12 hours. Of course, she has refused to remove the tweet, and rightfully so. And this is after, you know, you've got similar cases like uh, last October you had uh, Congressman uh, Jim Banks who made the point that Rachel Levine, who's the Associate Secretary of Health Mm. um, in the current administration, is a biological male who identifies as a female. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was thrown into a jail um, for stating that simple reality mm-hmm. and made the point that, you know, this is big tech just censoring basic truth mm-hmm. um, and if they silence me, they will silence you. You know, it, it was there's, there's, no, there's nothing attacking about stating the fact that this person who identifies as a female is actually a biological male. Yeah. That's just simple reality, and if we can't accept reality, what kind of a universe are we living Mm. in? You know, God sort of really solved this problem a long time ago when God said that he created human beings as male and female. Mm. End of story, simple as that. And once we get away from the biblical model, unfortunately we get into an area that is incredibly discriminatory against uh, sections of our society that are more vulnerable, and particularly women, and we see the rise in abuse against women. We see the rise of domestic abuse. We see stories like one coming out of the States today where 
You have a father who just murdered his three children and their chaperone in church during a chaperoned visit. And so this guy was, you know, he was on an AVO kind of uh, situation, was allowed to see his kids once a week, once a fortnight, whatever it was, provided there was a chaperone there who was not the mother because she was afraid for her life. And so they're like, yeah, we'll meet on neutral ground, we'll meet at, at, at your church, at the father's church. So he just goes there and kills them all. That is the most gnarly thing you've ever said. It is just that. absolutely horrific what is happening in our world right now. And... It, as we get further and further away from the biblical model mm. and as we basically, you know, this whole gender ideology is deleting women. There is no definition for women anymore mm-hmm. for what a woman is. You know, they just refuse, cannot, will not define what a woman is and it opens the door to abuse. Mm-hmm. There is a direct link between these two things and we need to recognize it because for the misogyny that it actually is. Mm and the discrimination that it is. So we need to pray for our world right now. We particularly need to continue to pray for the Ukraine. Uh, Of course, um, the Ukrainian uh, president, um, has Zelensky, has stated that Russia will not destroy our faith, our sincere belief in Ukraine and in God. He says we will rebuild every single house, every street, every city. Um, And he says... You can destroy our Ukrainian cathedrals. You cannot destroy our faith, our sincere belief in Ukraine and God and belief in the people. Well, you're kind of going to get the same thing from the church in Russia as well. So the Orthodox Church versus the in Ukraine versus the Orthodox Church in Russia. Mm. It's sad to see God get pulled into these conflicts. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. This morning here on the Breakfast Show. And we're about to get into our interview of the day. Before we do, as always, 300-point question. All right, for 300 points, how many children did Jacob slash Israel have? If you know the answer, 0491-064-669 is the number to call. For 300 points, you can win a pocket sermon. I don't know that we actually know the answer to that question. Ah, we, well, we do. There's an answer right here. What? Huh? Did you read it? Read it correctly? Yeah, I said how many... how, oh, how many named children uh, did Jacob named slash Israel children. have? 0491-064-669. How many named children did Jacob slash Israel have? Yes. All right. Let's see if you can come up with an answer to that one. Love to hear what you come up with. All right. So uh, joining us on the phone this morning is our re- resident historian, Eliza Southwell. Eliza, welcome to the show. It's great to be on, Lyle. Now, Eliza... At the beginning of our show, we always have a section where Lawson and I talk about what we are thankful for. And this morning, I didn't get a chance to talk about what I was thankful for. But oh. there's something I'm super thankful for because um, there's an exciting event taking place um, in in July where <laughs> that I found out something about last night, and that is that you're going to be having a little boy. Oh, that's. That's correct, Lyle. <laughs> we're, we're very excited, Harley and I, and that's right. We're um, looking forward to welcoming a little boy into the world. 
Uh, fantastic stuff. And, of course, uh, I get to be the grandfather of that little boy, so that's going to be absolutely amazing. So <laughs> super excited about it. Eliza, we're talking about uh, history. You're our resident historian. We're talking about church in the wilderness. Um, we're talking about church in the wilderness this this year. And I understand that we're talking about the Waldensies. Now, this is a group of people that uh, some people are familiar with, but most people have never heard of. So take us through the story. Right, right. So... Um, for those of us, for, for those of our listeners who who haven't been um, who hear the phrase "church in the wilderness," have no idea what that means. Um, during the Middle Ages, there were churches and theological schools and mission stations all over the world that upheld the truths of the Bible. Um, and the name we have for these different groups of people is the Church in the Wilderness. We get that phrase from Revelation twelve verse six. If you want to look that up, sometimes they were very successful. Um, sometimes they were the victims of genocide, so they have a very a very wide history. The Waldenses were a group of people who were known by many names. Waldenses comes from the Latin word for the valleys, but they had um, uh, French names. They were called Leonists. They were called Insabati because um, many of them kept the um, kept Saturday as the Sabbath. But they had all sorts of names um, through their very long history. They were actually the there was often a small group of people, um, and they lived in the sheltered, protected, hidden valleys of the Alps and the Pyrenees. But they were the longest lived of these churches in the wilderness, and they survived from apostolic times right through to the Reformation. So this group of people um, came originally, you know, if, if you think about... Um, the church in apostolic times, think about the church in the um, early times while the Roman Empire is crumbling. Rome um, is not firmly established as the uh, leader of all the churches of Europe. And instead, um, Milan, which is uh, still today a very uh, powerful, influential city in Italy, in the north of Italy, Milan was a center of evangelistic opposition to Rome. Um, it was characterized by uh, Bible-believing Christians. It was um, a place where Eastern Church Councils met, um, also Celtic Church Councils. And interestingly enough, um, this opposition to Rome was, was very doctrinally based. Um, so, for example, um, Saturday Sabbath-keeping was widespread, um, it was quite politically incorrect because of a felt need to be sensitive to pagans who, who often kept Sunday. Um, so Saturday was sometimes observed as a day of fasting while Christians gathered for worship with their pagans on Sunday, but um, the rest of Sunday wasn't kept holy per se. So um, that was one doctrinal difference they had in Rome. Um, an early church father actually coined the phrase when in Rome do as the Romans when he was describing this difference between Saturday keeping in Milan and Sunday keeping in Rome. Um, but we we also had have this separation between the, the early world envies and, and the Church of Rome when it came to rejecting monasticism. The world envies were not a fan of monks. They saw it as something that came from Egypt and, and then originally, even before then, from Buddhism. Um, and they, they were a fan of um, 
this habit of, of setting them setting people aside and considering them more holy because they um, interacted less with the world. And so in in a few different ways, very early on, even in the fourth century, um, Milan and these early Waldenses were very distinct from the Church of Rome. So, so this group of people spread their ideas all over Europe. They were very evangelistic. And they're actually excommunicated by the Bishop of Rome, or that we today call the Pope, in 325 AD. Um, they were excommunicated because they disagreed with the Pope on certain elements of doctrine that they believed were straight from the Bible. Like they rejected the Pope's infallibility. They disregarded papal excommunication. They thought, oh, well, the Bishop of Rome is just a bishop, and just because you're not part of a church, it doesn't mean you're not saved. Um, they ordained their own gospel workers, and they rejected the mass and transubstantiation. They rejected image worship, and they criticized pilgrimages for um, for being too focused on, um, on an action to receive greater merit or salvation before God. They didn't see that in the Bible, and so they they rejected that when they saw it in, in the Roman Church. Um, so, interestingly, in the ninth century, the the Greek Church, which was based in Constantinople, which at that time was was the center of the Byzantine Empire, um, the Greek Church rejected the Pope's authority to distinguish over the Saturday Sunday controversy. The Greek Church wasn't quite confident enough to say the politically incorrect thing and say, well, clearly from Scripture, um, we see no evidence that, that Jesus or the apostles ever changed the, the sanctity of the Sabbath over the Sunday. They weren't quite ready to say that. That was very politically incorrect. Um, but they did reject the Pope's right to arbitrate in that manner. Um, so that's, that's the groundwork of where the world envies came from as a people. Now we we must turn to um, the Middle Ages. What happened when Rome gained that ascendancy? How did Rome gain that ascendancy? What happened to this group of people when they did? And the remarkable thing so, about this group of people is that you find them in the very centre of Europe. It's not like these people are on the outskirts mm. somewhere where they've been forgotten. You know, so much of the church in the wilderness, we find on the outskirts of Christianity, whereas these guys, you can't get more central than on on the border of uh, Italy and France. Right, right. And if you look at where they are on the map, they're surrounded by, or at least in the, in the late Middle Ages, they're surrounded by Catholic France and Catholic Italy and Catholic Austria, and Catholic Southern Germany, and, and yet Catholic Spain. they're <laughs> and Catholic Spain, and yet they're sheltered um, in in the the hard to get to valleys of the Alps and the Pyrenees, um, especially the Alps, or they survived in the Alps a little bit longer than they survived in the Pyrenees. But part of the reason I think that the surrounding areas were so staunchly Catholic was that. Um, actually, the surrounding areas, like Milan, had um, all of the Bible-believing Waldenses had fled from those areas. Those were areas of intense persecution, and so they fled to places that were hard for an army to invade, like the Alps. Um, so we come to the High Middle Ages, 
And in the 11th century, the Pope um, developed a real power over the Christian kings of Europe. He cemented Christendom under papal control. Prior to this, bishops around Europe had determined their own religious policy, and kings and dukes had full control over secular policy. These changes, um, we call the Gregorian reforms, um, because they accelerated in 1073 when Pope Gregory VII came to power. Now, after centuries of conflict between the Bishop of Rome and rival bishops like the, the um, like the Bishop of Milan, after centuries of conflict between them, Gregory seized control of the European bishoprics, which included banning kings and dukes from influencing the appointment of clergy. Um, in response, the Greek church in Constantinople declared independence from Rome. Um, we call that the Great Schism. Of course, the Greek church had political backing from Constantinople, from the Byzantine Empire. You think about Milan. Milan had very little political backing. It had a local duke um, and the princes of Savoy um, that protected their religious um, independence for a while. But, of course, the, the kings of Savoy were, were terrified of being excommunicated. And so Milan never had the political protection of um, of free religion and, and religious toleration for the uh, Bible believers. The popes, of course, when it comes to religious toleration, how can we overlook the Middle Ages without looking at how heretics were, were treated? Um, popes called crusades against heretics. Um, they, they called crusades against the Waldenses, in the 13th century, in the 14th century, again in the 15th century, um, Pope Innocent III called the Albigensian Crusade uh, to eliminate a group very closely related to the Waldenses, the Cathars, from southern France. Um, they were a radical Christian sect. They're accused of heresy. Of course, anyone accused of heresy must be a terrible person. And so there weren't many questions asked. And there were some... Um, they found some people to put on show trial who had very strange views and they said, oh well, all these world enemies are actually like this and they went about systematically committing genocide against them. Um, nobles who objected to the violence against these people were excommunicated, which would mean their property was seized, they would end up being killed as well. And when the massacres began, many of them fled to, um, to various cities where they thought they would be safe, and then the entire populations of those cities might be killed. Um, even the supposedly, um, even the Christians who are supposedly loyal to Rome would be killed because the hatred against these people was so great. Um, of course, the Inquisition was another method um, by which the Catholic Church attempted to eradicate heresy and, and all those who disagreed uh, with them. And when excommunication and imprisonment failed to deter heretics, the Inquisition began to use torture and execution, um, methods that became widely popular in the 12th century, especially amongst, um, at, well, against Cathars and Waldenses. The Inquisition actually outlived the medieval period and was later used against um, witches and Protestant reformers 
um, the but the last inquisitorial execution was actually in Spain in eighteen twenty six. Wow, that's much more recent history. Yeah, that's not so long ago at all. Right. So, in response to to this, the the violence that was pouring out of of the Bishop of Rome against apparently heresy, but um, but for the world envies, you know, they thought, well, what what did we do wrong? We're just Bible believing Christians. In response to that violence, even in as, as early as the twelfth century, um, there was a scholar and, and businessman by the name of Peter Waldo, who um, denounced the papacy, identified the papacy as the Antichrist of the book of Daniel and Revelation, because of this violence that was pouring out um, from them. And that became a, a recurring theme that went through the entire Reformation, held the same um, prophetic view of Daniel and Revelation. And because of the, the virulence of, of the hatred pouring out from Rome into um, against these people, especially because they're at the center of Europe and they were very visible to the rest of Europe, and they were very evangelistic um, for the rest of Europe. That was that was a bit of a well, as it happened, a bad PR move for Rome. Um, it was very public. Mm, yes, and indeed. It was. It was no. It was no accident that the Protestant Reformation occurred along the lines of Waldensian doctrine. A lot of those doctrines that I mentioned before might be familiar um, to our viewers, and and that is because the Protestant Reformation popularized them. The Reformation was the fruit of the seed sown by the Waldenses throughout Europe over the centuries. And, and when the you look Waldenses at the, were very when, when you look very at where the, yeah when you, when, when you look at where the Waldenses come from, it's a tiny patch of ground. Um, basically, mm. basically three valleys, and yet mm-hmm. they have this effect over the whole of Europe, uh, which is mm. which is you know they're punching way above their body weight, um, mm-hmm. and you know you can go there and visit it today, and it's like well this is just a group of peasants in in three valleys that you know turn the world upside down over mm-hmm. time. It's it's an mm-hmm. incredible story, Eliza. We're out of time. Um, I'm wondering whether we can pick this story up and cover more on it maybe next month because it sounds like this is a really big story here and we've got so much more we could talk about. Um, would that be something we could do? We, we've covered a wide, a wide range of history and we will refer back to bits and pieces as we talk about other groups, okay. um, for example, the Celtic Church. Yeah. So yes, because that's we'll, another church we'll that has a that. has a major influence on the on the history of the or, or on the you know the seeding of the Reformation, so to speak. Um, that's it. But yeah, they certainly have a remarkable history and how they were able to survive. You know, there's some incredible military history that goes there. You know, even Napoleon himself mm-hmm. went made a special journey to the Waldensian valleys to study their their uh, their strategies um, and how they were able to survive. You know, 800 years of uh, of, of conflict. Um, and and trying to be exterminated and coming very close to being exterminated on on many times, and yet they survived by the grace of God to be able to bring the Reformation in many ways to our world. Eliza Southwell, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about the Waldenses. I'd encourage uh, all of our listeners to go and do some further research on them. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.